0: Sena Lofil, Marca Mesuto Fil. Piede Merigo va Millan, Piede Merigo va Millan, Piede Merigo va Millan, el
1: 1-1. This is Ars Cast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Ars Cast Extra, as always with James from Gun and Block. James, Goodly morning to you. Goodly morning to you too. Two in a row. Not too bad. Not too shabby at all. That was uh, an enjoyable weekend's uh, victory over Burnley. We're going to talk about that in some great detail. But uh, just checking in, how's it all going for you up in in Edinburgh?
0: It's good, man. Uh, I'm enjoying it. It's just ever such a long time. I don't remember what England is like. I don't remember what cooking my own meals is like. Uh, I'm close to the end. I'm not dying, sorry. That sounds wrong.
1: Okay, few. I mean, people would be worried, given your track record, that perhaps this is it. This is James Swansong. He's just going to fade away into nothing in Edinburgh over the course of the month of August.
0: No, but by by the time of the next cast, 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 Kextra, um, I will, the cast, cast, the casket cast, which I will be doing (laughs) from beyond the grave, um, I will have finished Edinburgh. I will still be in Edinburgh, but I will have finished. And whilst I have absolutely loved it, I'm also with the finishing line in sight. Looking forward to it at this
1: point. Right. Okay. You're flagging a bit towards the end. You need a bit of uh, a bit of pep, perhaps a little bit of uh, creatine, yes. some kind of injection of EPO, performance enhancing I mean, drugs. I <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Performance
0: enhancing, please. I think it would enhance my performance. Would be good. Mm. Um, But yes, it's been great fun, and I've had lots of Arsenal fans come into the show and come up to me. So uh, thank you to everyone who's done that. I really appreciate
1: it. That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, a good weekend of football from an Arsenal point of view. Our first home game of the season. Perhaps not as convincing a win as I might have liked. You know, I was Mm. kind of hoping for a bit of a 4 or 5 nil, but in the end... I don't think we can complain too much given that there were some uh, enjoyable aspects to winning 2-1 and the fact that for the second week in a row, Arsenal have held on to a one-goal lead to take three points. not something we've always um, associated with this team and its uh, various fragilities over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose I'm slightly in two minds about the game because, you know, we did concede quite a lot of chances to Burnley Um, and Burnley aren't the most adventurous attacking team either by their nature Mm. so you know that was a little bit alarming but I did come away from it feeling pretty positive and optimistic I mean the fact that we won our first two games uh, having lost our first two last season albeit with a very different fixture list uh, is encouraging and I thought there were there were things about that performance, particularly sort of elements that had a bit of novelty to them. You know, there were two debutantes in there that really, really were encouraging and really made me quite
1: excited for, for what we might be able to do this season. Yes, that's that's a really good point because the, the fact that Joe Willock was making his home debut Uh, His first start in the Premier League at the Emirates. Danny Ceballos with his first start uh, for the club. And we're obviously going to talk quite a bit about Danny Ceballos. We didn't have Granit Xhaka, so it meant that Unai Emery's midfield decisions were, I think, relatively straightforward. Clearly, Lucas Torreira is back late and and, uh, maybe... A little bit behind in terms of fitness, Mesedozo was out also uh, due to illness during the week, so he wasn't available. So what he had were three very young, well, relatively young midfielders. Willick is only nineteen, Genduzi is twenty, um, and in his only his second season in the Premier League. So Bios, 23 got plenty of experience with Real Madrid, but this is his first start in the Premier League against a team. Like Burnley, who um, I'm not sure there is really a Spanish equivalent to Burnley in terms of the the approach, because of course in every league there are tough players and there are strong players and there are physical players, but a team that bases its almost its entire approach on maximising its physical strength is not something you you tend to see too often in La Liga. I don't think so. As a relatively new experience for him, he 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 just. He started well, he middled well, and he ended well. It was a really accomplished performance in in those circumstances.
0: Yeah, and I think, like you say, it was a performance with a lot of different qualities to it. I mean, of course, his technical quality was was the most eye-catching, but he really was enormously Mm. competitive on the day and prepared to be physical when he had to be. I mean, a great example of that, of course, came uh, with the Aubameyang goal in the second half. But yeah, I, 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 you couldn't help but be impressed by him. He, he had real star quality dripping off him and he felt like a player out to make a point, really. Probably not just to the Arsenal fans, but also to any scouts or coaching staff watching from Real Madrid. I mean, he,
1: he really did look like a star. Absolutely. Absolutely. He um, he plays in a really exciting way, I think, because we can look at his technical quality and we can see that. We can see he likes to, uh, to move the ball quickly. He's got great ability on the ball. He's got a kind of a, a, a shimmy and a waggle of the hips that defenders find hard to read so he can escape uh, out of, um, you know, close situations or where he's being marked. There were a number of occasions where he did that, moved away from his markers, he was quite often fouled. But I think there's just a kind of a sort of bravery about the way he wants to play the game that I really like in that. And again, look, I know it's only one game and it's very difficult to make any um, massive assumptions but but just based on this performance the fact that he always wants to try and do something with the ball that he'll drive forward that he'll dribble that he'll ev- evade players um, his decision making is good he'll have a shot he had like a couple of shots as well one um, mm-hmm. went not far wide there was another one where the keeper made a very good save so he can mix it up a bit as well and um, you know I think if, if this is a marker for what we're going to get from him this season it's very exciting yeah
0: Definitely, definitely, and it was interesting to see the sort of role that he played on the pitch, I mean, uh, he he wore Aaron Ramsey's number eight, and Mm. I thought he was going to play maybe more exclusively as a a kind of number 10, but he was kind of doing that sort of box-to-box thing. I think Emery said afterwards he he started uh, more advanced than Willock, but they ended up into changing a lot. It looked to me like Willock spent most of the game mm. more advanced. And Ceballos was, you know, picking up deep and then moving forward when he had to. But I saw a stat that no player on the pitch completed more passes inside the final third. So this was not just, you know, a deep midfield performance. He was deeply involved in our attacking play too.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um... He ended the game with two assists to his name, but I think it's fair to say that in both cases, uh, particularly the first goal, the strikers had a lot more to do with the goals than the quality of the delivery, for example. So it's not like he laid them on a plate, and I'm not trying to talk him down here. It's just this this um, thing we've spoken about before, isn't it? Is, it? is it really an assist just because you make the last pass before a goal? Um, mm the corner for Lacazette, you know, when it came to him, it looked to me, for all the world, like he was going to get crowded out by the defenders. But not for the first time. He's shown an ability to take the ball in tight spaces and do something with it, uh, particularly from close range inside the box.
0: Yeah. Was it Chelsea last season where he scored a, a very similar yeah, it goal could be. where. Uh, I think there was a corner pulled into the near post and he kind of skipped around a couple of players, lifted it into the uh, high into the net that time, but mm. this time it was, was through the goalkeeper's legs. It's a brilliant take and a really difficult skill, I think. That sort of close control, that low centre of gravity, managing to get the shot away. Uh, I did think Sebastian's corners were, for the most part, pretty good, actually. Mm. And I was surprised when, I think Reese Nelson took a couple instead of him from that side, and I was like, hmm. Don't know why because I thought his delivery was nice and flat and sort of uh, yes dangerous. You know, yeah, it was sort of like any sort of touch could have could have created an opportunity. Did, did Not necessarily his, but go, go on. Sorry, yeah, no, no.
1: I was just going to say that it occurred to me last week that that Shaka, uh, for example, who took a lot of our set pieces la- uh, last season, didn't really take any at Newcastle last week either. Sabyas so took quite a lot of the, the the corners and and what have you. So. Maybe they're seeing something on the training ground that means, um, you know, the, there's something new to to the way we're going to deliver the ball. Now, I I agree with you. There was a there's a nice um, pace on the ball, but a sort of flatter trajectory rather than those loopy, big loopy high corners, uh, which are a bit easier to defend.
0: Yeah, exactly that. Um, maybe it wasn't his best one into Lacazette, but the striker really did turn it into mm. something, and uh, huge credit to him. I mean. You know, he didn't start last week, but interesting, isn't it? You know, we we spend the game... The first thing we talk about, well, the first thing I talked about was kind of our defence and some of the concerns there, but it was our strikers who came through for us on the day uh, and... Yeah, fantastic goal oh, well, by
1: like Yeah, it. I mean, as, as impressive as our midfield was, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, it was the quality of the two strikers which which won us the points. So Bamiyang's goal in the second half, I think I wrote about this yesterday in the blog, where you look at him do that and it looks so simple and so effortless that you're sort of thinking to yourself, well, why why don't you just do that a bit more? You know, it's so easy for you to do this. Just do it do mm. it a bit more often. But of course, it's not that easy. Of course, you know, it's um, it's a testament to his quality and his movement and his finishing that he makes it look as effortless as he does. But, you know, just fantastic quality. And of course, Ceballos involved. He, he had a pass blocked. And then he just snapped into a tackle, nicked the ball for Aubameyang, who went on and did the rest. Yeah.
0: And look... With that 14 on his back, it's easy to make the comparison, but it was it was Henri-esque, wasn't it? The way that he skipped inside and then uh, put that delicious finish in the near post. I feel like, you know when you say, Aubameyang, oh, why doesn't he do this more often? Mm. I feel like he, potentially he might. I, honestly, what looking at him during pre-season at the start of this season... He looks like a player who might be stepping up a level, actually. And if you look at the goals he's scored since he came to Arsenal, the types of goal he's scored, goals from outside the box, goals that haven't been part of his armoury prior to joining us, you know, I think he might be getting better. Um, And I know that's unusual for a player of his age, but he's scoring such variety of goals and, you know leading the team sure. in some ways, that maybe he wasn't uh, at Dortmund. So, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited about what he, he might produce this season.
1: I know a lot of people have concerns about playing Yang in the wide areas. Mm. You know, mm. first half, I thought he was, he was relatively quiet um, and he was stationed out on the right-hand side, where he was very good in pre-season, but uh, on the left-hand side... Um, we've seen him score goals. So, I mean, do you, f- for all the qualities that he has as a centre forward, and there's absolutely no denying that, and I think he is, when it comes right down to it, our our best striker. You know, he's our best goal scorer, and ideally you would want to have him in the centre forward position, getting on the end of things in the box, where over the years he's shown that he, he can be so effective. But do you yeah. think the concerns are maybe a little bit... I'm not going to say wrong, but over-exaggerated when you consider how many times he's played out wide for Arsenal and how many goals he scored from those positions. Like, it doesn't seem to be dampening his um, efficacy in front of goal or in terms of how many goals that he gets. That's, you know, two and two now. And again, you know, he scored that goal coming in from from the left-hand side.
0: Yeah, I mean, literally on this occasion, he started out from the flank. It doesn't bother me as much as it bothers some people. I think he's really proven that he can score goals wherever he starts on the field. And I think the Premier League more broadly has shown that you can be a team's you know top elite goal scorer without necessarily beginning every game in the centre of the pitch. Uh, you look at the success of people like Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, Raheem Sterling... And I think Aubameyang's perfectly capable of replicating that. For me, it's all about what you get from the team. You know, if you have Aubameyang starting at centre-forward and he gets you 30 goals, fantastic. But if you start Aubameyang and Lacazette and you get 20 from each and the team overall scores more goals, then that is the better option. Um, Mm. and I'd quite like him from the left I must say I mean by the time uh, the second half rolled around we were looking at that front three weren't we of Aubameyang on the left Lacazette through the middle Pepe on the right Uh, we've all been intrigued to see and I thought the early signs were were pretty
1: good actually it doesn't stop him getting in the box though either playing him out on the left, because no. there was a moment in the second half when Pepe played a really nice pass from the right-hand side into the box. Uh, Aubameyang's touch was great, and the keeper made uh, a pretty decent save. So it's not as if he's just hugging the touchline. Um, and the movement and the the ability he has to get into the box at the right time uh, is difficult for defenders to deal with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, as a centre half, it's almost more frightening to think, well, I can't, I don't know exactly where he is. You know, he's coming at me from a wide area or coming from deep, uh, harder to track and harder to mark, probably. It suits him in some mm. ways because he loves to arrive late in the box and loves to, you know, catch defenders unaware, little feints and ghost movement. Uh, so it probably suits him in that regard. I mean, the other thing to say about Aubameyang, a player that we haven't touched on yet is David Luiz, who of course made his debut. And I I love that moment sort of eight minutes into the game where Luiz looked up and just played that sort of 50, 60 yard pass into Aubameyang's path. Uh, He was out on the right wing at the time. And I thought, well, potentially we could be unlocking another dimension to his game if we if we can hit him early.
1: Yeah, that's true. We will talk about Luis uh, and his debut uh, and Pepe, but the two goals that we scored feel very um what's the word I'm looking for here? Like the Aubameyang goal was an Aubameyang goal and the Lacazette goal mm. was a Lacazette goal and two games into the season um these guys are making their mark on what we're doing uh, so it's it's really very interesting and I think when Pepe comes in and when Pepe's fully fit the idea of those three together uh, as tantalizing as it was on paper now that we've had a glimpse of it and 45 minutes of it, it was pretty good uh, against Burnley it's even more exciting now I, I think um, before we go on to Pepe let's just finish out the the first half Burnley scored a goal of course Ashley Barnes um, the big fucker. Um, yeah, we were I mean, caught on the break, weren't we? I guess. Yeah, a little bit of misfortune.
0: Yeah. Um, um, and we got a deflection. But I mean, they had, they were creating chances. Uh, you have to say yes. And I, I mean, look, I cannot bear. Ashley Barnes, Um, so that was a frustrating moment. But actually, I was always fairly confident we had enough attacking firepower to come back and win the game. And I mean, maybe we'll be in that scenario more than once this season, I would imagine, where we might ship a goal but be able to rely on our attack to to get us out of trouble. Is
1: it a goal you think merits any real discussion from a defensive point of view? Were there things... um that we did. I mean, look, you know, I don't think we closed down the um, the defender quickly enough. I think Ceballos got wrong-footed basically, and the guy zipped past him, but he was still able to shift the ball onto his left foot and take a shot, which deflected. I'm not sure Louise um, his marking was particularly great in, in that scenario, um, and it is one of the things that frustrates me with with Arsenal's defending is this reluctance to properly close down moments of attacking danger. There was one in the second half, I'm nearly sure. Was it the second half? I, I think it was the second half. I can't quite remember. But it was quite early on, Um and the guy had a header at the back post. But if you look at it, yeah, there was a cross with that guy McNeil. I'm sure it was him on the left-hand side. And Ainsley Maitland-Niles looks at him puts his hands behind his back, but doesn't really attack the ball, doesn't really close down the space and allows the guy to get the cross in, which he headed over the bar. It was, uh, you know, it was a pretty good chance for Burnley. So I think it's one of those things that Emery is going to have to start drilling into these defenders. Like you don't go in and you don't commit you don't have to go to ground and, and and get done like a kipper, but you have to, as much as possible, cut out moments uh, of danger before they can get the ball into your box because um, in this league, you, you'll you get punished.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. And we did look a bit lax in that regard. Uh, as for the goal itself, I've just had a little look back at it now. I mean, there's nothing especially... Uh, troubling about it we were just caught weren't we we were caught on the break and we were caught Mm. maybe a little bit flat footed as well you know when the deflection happened Um, but I mean yeah this is a team that is going to have to lean into its attacking strengths I think and I'm sort of quite accepting of that you know I I never found our Defensive issues, particularly distressing. I think I'm sort of slightly inured to them at this point. And it's more about, well, can we control the game? Can we dominate the game? Uh... That I think that for us, attack really is the best form of defence. I know it's a cliche, but with this team, it just feels true.
1: Yeah, until you know, we can sort out something defensively because there are improvements that we can make when you've got holding, when you've got Bellerin, when you've got Tierney, when Louise is properly yeah. settled in, and we'll we'll talk again about Louise in a moment because uh, I've, uh, I'm I'm curious as to to how you viewed his performance overall, but. The first half ended where um, we thought maybe we'd scored Reese Nelson, tucking the ball away very nicely. Um, but it was yeah. it was denied because Monreal's toe was offside. I mean, that is the letter of the law right now. Um, but uh, kind of disappointing because it, it was a very nice move. Yeah, and
0: a sort of slightly sliding doorsy moment for Reese Nelson, who had, had quite a quiet first half then, put that in the top of the net mm. and then found himself subbed off within a few minutes at half-time. Yeah. Of course, you never know if it would have happened regardless, but possibly. We know what Emery's like with the substitutions. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean he was brought off at half-time, but yeah, shame for him. I think, he, you know, he his, his confidence could really have done yeah. with that with that goal. Uh, but that is the the world we live in, isn't it, now, with, with uh, the technology and and Monreal was... Uh, a little bit offside
1: teeny tiny bit offside which is all the offside you need to have a goal disallowed so half time change Nicolas Pepe comes on over to the right hand side Aubameyang moves Mm -hmm. to the left hand side what did you make of of Pepe because I thought there was a lot to like about um the way that he played the way that he plays in general what he can bring to the team um you know, I know there was that moment late on where he undercooked the pass to Aubameyang, which should have been an assist. That should have been an assist. But some of the skills, uh, the, the pass he made to Aubameyang to create that chance midway through the, the second half, uh, I, I enjoyed yeah. what I saw from him. And, and Emery is talking about him as if he's, he's not ready yet. Physically, he's not ready. He's only been with us a couple of weeks. So there's, there's clearly a lot more to come, which is also very exciting.
0: Yeah, there were some lovely little flashes of skill, weren't there? Little turns and uh, tricks and dribbles away from people. I think he completed the the second most dribbles or something like that on the entire Arsenal team in the course of the Mm. 90 minutes. And he was only on for 45. Um, So I liked that about him. I liked... There's just a nice sort of languid movement about him, you know, when he's got the ball at his feet and he drives in field, He gives a bit of variation to Aubameyang and Lacazette because he's principally a dribbler rather than someone who runs off the ball in uh, mm. the way that Aubameyang does. Uh, yeah, I, I was really encouraged and excited by it. It's early days still and it's tempting, isn't it, to, to rush him in. We all want to see him play. We all want to see more of him. We want to see him make an impact. But uh, I thought he was better than he was in the Newcastle game uh, when he came on then. And I think that's encouraging. He's going in the right direction He seems to be getting fitter, seems to be regaining his confidence. So I think it will be a little while yet, probably before he's starting games, especially listening to the way Emery was talking about him after the match. But Mm. there was a lot to like about it. There was a lot to like about it. And that was sort of the overriding thing for me on the day that, as I said at the top, those new signings or young players, they just lent that air of freshness to this team. Yeah, And... uh, as a fan, you know, that's a a welcome change.
1: Do you, a lot of people wondering if you if we think Pepe will start at, at Liverpool at the weekend? Do you think he's I'm not ready sure. Out? I I'm,
0: I don't think he
1: will. I don't think so either. I think he's just going to hold him in reserve and use him in the second half. If if we need him, chances are we will probably need a, a good attacking change we'll
0: need, at some we'll point. We need him to come on and score five, probably, yeah. but yeah.
1: <laughs> Maybe just four, who knows. Um yeah, I, I'm not sure that he will yet. I think he probably needs a bit more training, and I think that game in particular is not necessarily one to uh, to start if you're not 100% ready and 100% fit because Liverpool uh, as a team are so dynamic and uh, and strong. They, they, they'll they run the hole off you, you know what I mean? So you, you've got to yeah. be ready for that, and particularly against somebody like Andy Robertson who's going to who's gonna rampage down that left-hand side. So I'm, I'm not sure that he will. David Luiz, were you impressed? Hmm. I tell you what I was impressed by was every time the camera cut to him, and I'm sure this was evident if you're in the stadium, but every time the camera cut to him when Burnley had a succession of corners and set pieces uh, in which they lumped the ball into the box, uh, he was he was constantly talking to people and constantly telling people to stay focused and, and concentrate on the game and, and everything else. I really like the fact that he's a a talker and that he's come in. I know he's 32, so he's not a shrinking violet. He's a hugely experienced player. But I like the fact that he's come in and he's talking to people and he's he's telling people where to be. I think there was a moment where maybe himself and Leno had a a, a few words and there's no harm in that either. You know, I, I really like that because we need an organizer in this defense. It's one of the things that we've been really missing is a a vocal leader and organiser because defensive lapses more often than not come from um, lack of concentration and lack of focus. So I I was very impressed with that part of his game.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think... Uh, he is a bit of a leader I think we said that when he was signed and watching this match I thought I mean Emery's still sort of drawing up that captaincy group I know it's, he's just walked into the club but it, it wouldn't blow my mind if he was strongly considered to be in there he um, just has that charisma doesn't he and that uh, he, you know he can he take, take on that mantle and take on that responsibility um, and I think he will become a real stalwart for Emery and a bit of a leader in the dressing room he's a guy who you know he's played in France he's he's played in England before he's got international connection you can imagine that he gets somewhere with everybody I saw him doing his uh his initiation song did you see that Yeah. <laughs> and he yeah. didn't you know he's not someone who looked. some of the younger players when they got to do it you can kind of see the dread in their eyes but I would hate Louis, to have to do that so I, would I. I. I would absolutely hey,
1: you're, hate you're, it. You're, a, you're an actor slash performer. Um,
0: well, and I would still hate it. That tells you everything.
1: That's that's basically the main reason why I didn't become a professional footballer is because I couldn't bear the is idea of standing on a chair. I can't stand on a chair and just sing to a group of people. No way.
0: No, it's sort <laughs> of a bit like having happy birthday sung to you in a restaurant as a child. It's the inverse <laughs> of that, but still very stressful. Yes. Uh, uh, I didn't enjoy that either when it did happen on one or two occasions, but yeah, I, I do like that. Uh, I, I, I think that he's got this charisma, basically. Charisma, and, um, you know? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, and that hair, of course, mm. um, which I have huge hair envy of. But I, I was really pleased to see him start and see him sort of, you know, get slightly bedded into the team ahead of this difficult run of games, and. On top of all that, I just think technically he is so accomplished. Like, I think I've maybe not given him enough credit. Well, that's because he's been playing for teams like Chelsea uh, for how good on the ball he is. I mean, in, in the fourth minute, he did that thing <laughs> where he sort of fizzed it across his own box. And I can understand the sort of intake of breath and the anxiety that produced. But is that just not the sign of a player who is incredibly composed and confident in his own ability.
1: Yeah, know? I think so. I think so. You know, he 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 does have the technical ability to play passes from from deep um, it's not necessarily in all the coaching manuals, is it, to pass the ball straight across your own goal mouth? Um, no. <laughs> and, and actually, uh, perhaps an underrated part of that is how well Socrates controlled it because he didn't just roll that ball across; he absolutely fired it to him, um, which of course he had to do in those circumstances. But it's it's something we'll touch on a bit in a in the second half because I've got a question about it. But he was quite specific afterwards when he spoke about how. Um, we had to stick to the plan, and the plan is play out from the back. That's what Louis said. So he was, you know, yeah. under orders, following instructions. He wasn't just going to lump it downfield. You know, that was the pass that was on. It wasn't the easiest pass in the world, but he he made it. Um, you know, I I, I think. There was a lot to like about the way that, that he played. Uh, he he got forward well at times. There were times where I went, mm. fucking hell, he's really far forward. And then I realized it was um, that, <laughs> <laughs> that That's something we're going to have to come to terms with a little bit over the course of this season. But, you know, himself and Socrates, two wily experienced old dogs at the center of our defense. When you look at some of the defensive issues we've had down the years there's there's potential there isn't there for that experience to stand us in in very good stead
0: I think so and Louise is you know he's very comfortable with that left-sided centre-half I think that's his best position I think Socrates can do the job on the right so they dovetail quite well you just feel a little bit secure knowing you've got two players with vast amounts of experience in those positions it's where you want your experience on the field really at the heart of your defence and I think that Louise will I think he'll unlock things for us in terms of a, a passing perspective mm. but, and I think defensively he does improve us you know he does improve what we had so uh I was Happy to see him out there. Callum Chambers did well against Newcastle, but I think given some of the challenges that we've got coming up, uh, it was really important to to kind of bed Louise in and and get him in there alongside Sokratis as soon as possible.
1: Absolutely. Okay, I want to go back to midfield because uh, Mm -hmm. we've spoken about Danny Ceballos and how exciting his performance was, but I don't think he can play that well without the other two guys in midfield giving him the platform to do that. And I think both Willock and Genduzi were were really excellent. Um, Gendouzi yeah. played the role of picking the ball up from the defence. He was the first guy in midfield. Uh, super efficient on the ball. Super efficient. Um, passed it really well. A lot of his passes were forward. Uh, and Willock, there's just something really exciting about this kid Nothing seems to faze him. He's really calm, really assured. And you talked about how when Sabayas started dropping deeper, Willock got forward. And the way that he bursts forward and the way that he can make things happen in the final third is a really interesting aspect of his game for me because late on, he did that overlap, got to the byline, cut it back for Torreira, who had a, a good effort, well saved by, by the goalkeeper. To have that sort of string in his bow at 19 on his first Premier League start, um, I don't know what more we can keep saying about this kid other than the potential for him to become a first-team player at Arsenal is really, really obvious.
0: Yeah, and I think Unai Emery kept sort of deflecting questions and turning them back to Willock when he was asked about Ceballos. I mean, he he clearly is really enamoured with the player. And why would you not be? I mean... We all saw that uh, that great clip of Emery reacting to Willock's uh, tackle against Newcastle on the touchline, and how much he loved, you know, the way he tore back and used his physicality and disrupted Newcastle's play. He is the sort of player Emery would really, really like. He's very good on the ball, but he's very good off the ball as well. And playing in midfield, he can be someone who. Initiates the press, uh, who tackles back when required, but he's got such technical qualities to go with it. He's really got a little bit of everything and at the moment, it's difficult to see him coming out of the team. I really think that he is kind of doing the exact job that Emery wants from that player um, and he's meeting every challenge that is set before him. I mean, one thing I thought more broadly about the midfield is that Burnley tried to press quite high up the pitch. They were closing us down. And for the first time in a long time, we really, really had a midfield where every player had the technical capacity or the physical capacity to escape that press, to turn away from his man. Yeah. Um, Ceballos was particularly good in that respect. He really Ended was, not getting he? Yeah. kicked a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he had the trickery and he had the awareness. And it was almost like the way Burnley were closing us down. It was a bit like they'd prepared for Granit Xhaka, really. And yet we had these these three young guys who I think are just fundamentally more agile and it made our whole midfield a a bit more fluid really, and certainly more easy on the eye.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I wonder if that's something Unai Emery is going to look at or not even so much Unai Emery, but maybe people above him, if you've got Edu who is, you know, our technical director looking at the way that midfield played, I know Ceballos is probably going to go back to Real Madrid at the end of the season, um, let's not depress ourselves with that thought and let's just enjoy the fact that we've got him for a season. But they must look at that midfield now and think, OK, that is really a glimpse into what the future could be. So whether it's Ceballos or some other player um, to do what Sabio's does... You know, to have him, to have Genduzzi, to have Willock, to have Torreira, who I think when he comes back into the team, people will remember not only the fact that he's he's uh, somebody who can win the ball back, whose positioning is good, who reads the game well, and he can make those interceptions, um, but who's also very capable on the ball as well. He's small, he's mm. tricky, he's got a good passing range. Um you know, those are the kind of qualities that you want to see in the midfield. And I don't say this to say that's the end of Granit Xhaka or anything like that, because I think Granit Xhaka is going to play a significant role this season. It's just when you look at that midfield and what it can do and what it potentially can do, it's a lot more exciting than having a player uh, like Xhaka who, for all his qualities, is a bit slower in terms of what he does with the ball
0: I think that's completely reasonable and you know I, I understand with Sabio's. there's this concern if he might go back at the end of the season he probably will go back at the end of the season but that is a long way away and let me tell you this Unai Emery's not thinking about that right now and that's not his job. That's Edu's job or Raul Senyehi's job. His job is just to pick a team for the next eight months that he think can get us into the top four. And Ceballos will absolutely be in his thoughts in that respect. And, you know, what comes after that will come. But as far as Emery knows, he might not be here next season. So it's not something that he's going to be too preoccupied with. And I don't think we should be either. We should be trying to get the maximum out of that player while he's available to us, just like we did with Aaron Ramsey last year. We knew yeah. he wouldn't be here the following year, but, you know, we made it work because it was the best thing for the team and the best thing mm. for the club. Mm. And, um yeah, I, I, I wrote about this actually this morning for The Athletic about how it's interesting. I, it was a bit of a glimpse into a future of what this team would look like if it wasn't quite so... Dependent on Shaka, and I think that was in part due to the the midfield and Sobas's performance. But I also think Louise is part of that. You know, I think having someone who. Can kind of really spread the ball from very deep. Yeah. It kind of replaces another aspect of Shaka's game. Uh, and it's odd to talk about a player who's 32 offering you a glimpse into the future, but I think in Louise and a younger midfield, there is a kind of way of evolving beyond Shaka, who, for all the criticism of him, has been actually really integral to our approach play and our build-up, and yeah. that's why we've become reliant on him. But if we can move away from that, I do think it would be for the best.
1: Very interesting. I will take a read of that after I'm uh, finished recording this podcast. So, yeah, look, hopefully the people, uh, the powers that be at the club are looking at uh, 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 that um, performance and those qualities in midfield and thinking, OK, we can we can do a bit with this. Um, mm. What else do we need to say about this game? Well, I suppose the, the other... Factor is the uh, the Sean Dyche uh, complaining oh, yeah. as he always does. Um, you know, it was so weird, wasn't it, for him to sort of talk about like, you know, you can have one, you can cheat once a game in the Premier League. That's very difficult to do. Um, but you know, this idea that that. Um, Arsenal players were diving and cheating. He said, it's not about Arsenal. It's not, this isn't about what I saw today. Well, I mean, if you're going to make that point, why not do it in your pre-game press conference? Why not write a fucking article or something? You know, it, it, it was clear he was uh, exercised by what had happened in that game. Um, and it was so strange, really, because he talks about cheating and he talks about players diving and none of us want to see that. But at the same time... You know, throwing your knee into somebody's back while they're going up for a header, that's also foul play which is cheating which is against the rules so are some of the rules okay to break if you're playing in a traditionally English way? I I just don't know what this guy is on basically
0: No, it blew my mind I have to say because it became full time and then I think I left the pub where I was watching to go and do some other work and when I saw the comments from Sean Dyche, I was so amazed that that was what he took out of the game, especially because I'd been watching it going sort of gradually infuriated with with some of Burnley's uh, tactics, shall we say, in terms of how physical they were. Certainly knees in the back were a big feature there. I think pretty much everything Ashley Barnes could p- does on the field could potentially injure somebody. Um, and yeah, I think it's classic deflection, isn't it? It's him, you know just trying to turn the focus away from, from a defeat for his team and and probably said with one mind on refs in future, maybe giving him a decision that he, he would like because, it, yeah, I, I thought it was odd. I, I did not watch the Arsenal performance and think we're doing a lot of simulation or diving no. or anything like that. I mean, you know... I'm happy to hold my hands up when we do or, or talk about it, but I just don't think this was a, a particularly strong example
1: of it. No, I don't think so. And look, I, I love the physicality of football. I really do. I think it's great if we have an Arsenal team that is strong and can put itself about a bit and can use its physicality. And clearly Burnley, given the type of player that they have, have got a real focus on this thing. So it's not about like, oh, you guys are too big or too strong and we're small and we don't like it. It's not that. You just can't... You can't, on one hand, play in a way which you know walks the line of what's legal and illegal in the game, in one sense, and then get the hump when you accuse another team of of doing something um, almost exactly the same. You know, it's just such a big crybaby yeah. thing to do. Uh, and yeah,
0: you live uh, by the you live by the knee in the back, you die by the fall yeah. on the ground.
1: Well, you know, think yeah. about it. Look at the Lacazette goal. Look at the Lacazette goal. Like, that's a penalty. For me, that's a penalty if he doesn't score the goal because the guy puts his arm around him and falls to make it look like he's falling and it's sort of accidental. That's cheating as well, you know? So, you know, this idea that somehow Burnley are whiter than white um, just because they might not dive or whatever, I'm sure they've got players who do it as well, it's, yeah, pure deflection, anyway, you know, the fact that he was unhappy about it made me much more happy um, about our win, I thought the win was great, I thought uh, the, the performance, there were some really encouraging aspects to it and the fact that he and Burnley were pissed off was fantastic too
0: Yeah, Ashley Barnes was sad, Sean Dyche was sad I was happy that's, you know, the lovely little equation. And two wins from two. I mean, look, we probably did need to win these games yeah. given uh, what we've got coming up. But a, a bit like the Newcastle match, really. In the Newcastle game, what we came out of it talking about was the young players. You know, Maitland-Niles, Genduzzi, uh Willock-Nelson. In this match, you threw into that cocktail s- some signings, really. I thought there was more impact from Pepe. Mm. I thought Ceballos was... Fantastic! I thought Louise looked promising as an addition as well. So, you know, it, it, there is a very different feeling about this team. And I think as a fan, that gets you excited, doesn't it? Because it makes you think, OK, you know, we're not going to see quite as much of the, of the familiar failings. If we fail, it's going to be in a new and exciting way.
1: Yeah, maybe so. Or, you know, we, we, we bank enough goodwill in some of the performances and results that some of the old familiar failings aren't quite as frustrating as they yeah. have been. You know, yeah. it's difficult to, you know, to make everything right. You can't just expect all the problems to be fixed immediately. And as we keep saying, it's early in the season. We've got players, you know, coming back from injury, getting up to speed, getting physically ready. So in a few weeks' time, this will be, you know, a different looking Arsenal team. And hopefully the way we play will reflect that as well. Because the results have been great. I'm not downplaying any of it, but, you know, we performance-wise, rather than results-wise, it's been a sort of slow start.
0: Yes, it has. Uh, but that's sort of inevitable. Yeah. I mean, we're you know, we have, we're betting new players in. We've got other players just returning to training. You know, so it's uh, we are a work in progress, but there are these little signs that make you feel like we might be moving in the right direction. So, uh, yeah, look, I, I think it was it was good to get the win. I would have liked a clean sheet in an ideal world, but I think that's. I'm sort of prepared to make peace with the fact that that's not going to happen too often with no. this Arsenal team. Um, and that's who we are.
1: Yeah, well, look, uh, there's only two teams uh, in the Premier League that have won their their opening two games, and that's yeah. Arsenal and Liverpool. And, of course, you face Liverpool at the weekend. Is there a game tonight? Are Manchester United playing yeah, Wolves got tonight? United. So United could um, could join us on six points at the uh, the very very top of the Premier League table after two games. Um, but we'll we'll see what happens there. Okay. Um, anything else you can think of from the game or any other um, comments um, uh, that we need to touch on? I think we've covered pretty much everything.
0: Yeah, I think so. We might maybe we'll come up with the questions. I was intrigued. By Robin Van Persie's interview on BT oh, Sport. Oh, yes, uh, I'm
1: sure we'll have a question, yeah.
0: Maybe someone will have asked us about that. So we'll leave that for part two, shall we?
1: Okie dokie, let's do that. We'll come back with your questions and more right after this. Millions of people have lost weight
0: with personalised plans from Noom.
1: welcome back to the ArsCast extra this is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on twitter at gunner blog and at arse blog also on the Arsblog blog facebook page facebook.com forward slash the arse blog and on the Arsblog blog patreon discord server which you get access to if you are an arse blog member on patreon right we don't have a question amazingly about robin van percy James, but he um, was—he's joined BT Sport as one of their their pundits. You know what was weird? I don't tend to watch punditry a lot, Um, Mm. but I quite liked Joe Cole. I think he's quite
0: good, Joe Cole. Yeah, I I quite—you know—talks about football quite intelligently. Yes,
1: maybe I was surprised because his face doesn't look like he would talk. That intelligently, um, no. But but I yeah I quite liked what he had to say. But obviously Van Persie was there. They asked him about his time at Arsenal, and he came up with this absurd, ridiculous um, comparison about uh, how Arsenal was his wife, and his wife got tired of him, and all that kind of stuff. Um, curious, yeah, a just really to, strange. Yeah, story. That he he definitely he definitely had prepared something that he thought was going to sound like cool and smart but it just came across as ridiculous and dopey um, what, what did you make of what he had to say this this contention that Arsenal never offered him a new contract
0: well all I would say is if that's what happened it's very weird that he didn't make that public at the time because he had no problem making his side of things public he, he wrote us a letter didn't he you guys
1: um, you guys
0: hey you guys hey you and and Uh, Yeah, I I don't remember any indication there. He also said on BT Sport, he was like, you know, there were certain uh, things the club and I disagreed on about what was needed to make the club competitive. Um, And that was what he had said initially was the big issue. And and I'm I'm sure that was the big issue. I'm sure he said, you know, I want you to spend a lot of money. And they said, we can't. And that was the end of it. Um, And ultimately, it, it changes nothing because... You know, he still chose to go to a club who were uh, a real rival to us and, you know, it was a a painful and traumatic thing. So, look, do I think that uh, it makes him a terrible person? Not really. I mean, I don't really sort of care right now that he went to Manchester United. It's sort of in the past. And I'm sure in time, you know, things will be forgiven. If you saw... Uh, a little bit of contrition between sort of Ashley Cole and Arsenal fans. I remember last season and people said, oh, you know, in a way, it's so sad that he left and all that. If you if you can get that, then eventually you'll get that from um, yeah, Percy too.
1: Maybe, maybe. But I think if he'd been, you know, actually just honest about, mm-hmm. about why he left and his desire to win a title, um, I, I think people would have respected that. But this crazy analogy that he made about, you know, um, when my wife got tired of me, well, you know, you were a 30-goal striker. Why would why would they? You know, not that I'm going down the that, that analogy route, but, like, he'd scored 30 goals. It's not like Arsenal yeah. went, man, I'm a bit fed up of this guy scoring all these goals. That, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Also, he quite specifically said in his letter, you guys, you guys, I have decided not to extend my contract. So how do you decide not to extend... A contract. if there's no contract being offered.
0: Well, exactly. And also, if you made that decision, no surprise there wasn't a contract offered. Yeah. I, I don't want a new contract. Well, here's one anyway. What do you think? Arsenal aren't stupid. They're not going to subject themselves to that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I found it a kind of bizarre, especially because he hasn't commented it for like seven years or... Or whatever it was, he hasn't spoken about it publicly and then having all that time to think about it. And that being the best thing you can come up with. Yeah. I found strange and disappointing.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, like you say, water under the bridge and, um, it is know. water under the bridge and, you know, but,
0: but just odd. And okay. I suppose it's interesting that he was like, I didn't, he didn't speak about it while Arsene Wenger was in charge, because I suspect that would have meant there was someone in the public position to refute what he was saying. Uh, and now that's not really the case. Everyone who was part
1: of that decision-making process at Arsenal pretty much has moved on. Yeah, especially Ivan Gazidis, which is great. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a, another question here before I let you go. Um, this comes from Dave, who's at one. Oz underscore Gunnar on Twitter. He says, Why do you think Unai Emery persists with playing out from the back from a goal kick? Opposition are ready for it and most of the time we're immediately pressured into either making a mistake or booting it long anyway. Surely the reward is not worth the risk. And there was a similar question from Facebook from Joshua Brett who says, How do you feel about our policy of playing it out short from the back? It clearly didn't work on Saturday, especially when played to Socrates, and the fans at the Emirates got increasingly annoyed about it, resulting in Leno going long towards the end of the game
0: well yeah I mean it, it's not something that struck me as particularly irritating during the course of the game I mean I Emery is very wedded to it and yes that does mean that we get pressured but I think the idea is that you almost are inviting that pressure isn't it to so that you then escape it and you yeah. uh, create space further up the field and I think sometimes we don't have the personnel to do that really. I mean I think with Holding being out we've missed a very competent passer at center half especially when Moreales at full back rather than in a back three. Um I think in midfield we've spoken about Shaka in part one not necessarily having the the, the, the speed of foot or thought maybe mm. to to uh, withstand the press. But I think the 11 we put about put out against Burnley can do that and yes they'll need a bit of time to get used to it and get better at it. But if you think about how bad we were uh, in the opening game against Man City last year, uh, passing out from the back and how we sort of steadily improved and found the balance with it over the course of the season, I don't see why we shouldn't be able to do that this year and we've got better suited players to do it
1: crucially. It'll be interesting to see if Emery sticks with it because we started like this last season and then moved away from it um yep. is this now going to be the thing that's what louise said this is the plan the plan is to play out from the back personally i think a little more variety wouldn't go amiss there were there were moments in the fir- in the second half where it felt very repetitive and very obvious what we were going to do that burnley were able to cope quite well with what we were trying to do and pass it out from the back, and you could you could understand maybe a little bit of ansiness about about seeing us playing it short and um, and them pressing us high. But let's remember, there was a moment in the first half. I think there was a move. I don't know if it was from a goal kick or not, but it ended up with a Gendouzi shot, and it was a beautiful bit of football. Which the first pass I can remember is Willock with his back to the opponent. Basically, in our box. So he's facing the goal, played the ball round the corner, maybe a little one two. It came to Ceballos then in midfield. He drove forward, uh, gave it to Ganduzi. Ganduzi had a shot which was uh, stopped by the goalkeeper's foot. And it was a lovely piece of football. And you could see the benefit of playing out from the back. It's tight, it's a little bit dangerous. Uh, but when you escape the press, You've got all this room on the pitch to drive into and to create something and to make something happen in the attacking third. So that's the upside of it. And I think it's just a nervousness on our part where we're not quite sure of the technical quality of some of the players that we have to be able to play in that way. So if it's something that Emery sticks with right through this season, teams may not press us quite as high because they know we're good at it. Therefore, if they press high and we escape that press, they leave themselves vulnerable. So it's a little bit of a, a little bit of balance there in, in that way.
0: Yeah, and I actually think towards the end of last season, I thought that Bern Leno was very good in terms of judging when and when not to play out from the back. And I would like to see him given that autonomy to kind of make that decision himself rather than it be an edict that he always has to go short. Um, But it's not something that especially worries me. I do think that Louise is going to make a massive difference in that respect. I think, you know, Gendouzi, Sabayos could too. Um, And once we get Bellerin and Tierney back as well, it's another injection of technical quality into the back four. Uh, I think think we'll be better at it this year than Mm. we were last. And look, Emery got hammered last year for not really having a philosophy so if this is important to the football he wants to play if this is the make or break season for him he's, he might as well try he might as well you know yeah. do it using his principles uh, and see what he can achieve yeah I agree I agree um, let's have a look at I had the Discord uh John Foster says, good morning, I'm in Edinburgh for the month, but I didn't bring my lovely new Arsenal shirt because I'm a coward. James, did you bring your Arsenal shirt and have you worn it? Yes and yes, just to deal with that. Why would he be
1: afraid to wear his Arsenal shirt in Edinburgh? Are there hordes of anti-Arsenal people there? No, quite the opposite. There's quite a lot of Arsenal
0: fans up here. Yeah. Um, Yeah, plenty of Arsenal fans. In fact, the pub's quite busy for the Arsenal game. So don't be afraid, John. Wear your colours with pride, like I do, uh, under a jumper. And um, <laughs> But this, I had this question from Fernie Badger. Fernie Badger asked, what are your first impressions of the rest of the big six? Has it left you more or less confident about our chances of getting back into the Champions League?
1: Um, two games in, it's hard mm. to really make proper assessments. But I think Chelsea are clearly in a kind of transition under yeah. Frank Lampard, which isn't to say that he could make them better um, or anything like that, but but certainly they've looked a bit vulnerable. Um, one point from six, is it for them? Uh, yes, it is. So, you know, that's that's handy for us. You know, it's a five-point gap already, and of course there are 36 games to play, and that can, you know, but any kind of gap is good. United were... were they look good against Chelsea, but then the caveat of you know Chelsea's uh, difficulties under Lampard—you have to take those into account. Um, Liverpool—I watched their game against uh, Southampton at the weekend, and I thought they were they were good in the second half. Um, according to my brother, the Mug Smasher, they weren't so good in the first half. Uh, right, I. I I look at the squad we have, and I look at the players that we have, and I look at the how refreshed it feels and i I can't help but be confident of our ability to get back into the top four i get, you know I yes. just maybe I'm being ridiculously optimistic, maybe I'm taking all the sunshine of early season promise and and projecting it forwards, but I look at the the other teams and I don't see any reason why we couldn't finish in the top four. Based on what we've seen so far and what we could potentially see from an Arsenal team which can improve performance wise, um, and which will get some, some good players back in the next few weeks as well.
0: Yeah, I mean I I, I feel like uh, my mind's just gone completely blank, actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about the top four so- or the top six and our you know, what what are your impressions of the top six?
0: I said it and then I I, saw, I looked out my window honestly and I just saw someone hanging out there washing and then it suddenly was all I could think about I think Chelsea are going to finish outside the top four I've said it um, during pre-season and I, I I still think it's the case I mean I don't it's no direct criticism of Lampard himself it's just you know they've not had a transfer window really uh, they've not been able to buy players they're trying to go with youth there's a risk there um I think they're in transition. I th- and I think the, uh, the start of the season seems to be confirming that. Liverpool and City, I think, still look like ruthlessly effective machines. Um, and so I, I feel like it comes down to sort of Spurs, United, uh, and Arsenal. I think it's going to be two from there. Um, mm. I mean, obviously, United started really well with that win against Chelsea. Uh, but they go to Wolves tonight. And I think they lost at Molyneux last season. And I wouldn't put it past Wolves to beat them again so I think all those teams will drop points actually I think uh, I don't think Spurs will be like a defined third place you know at times it's felt like a top three and then the rest I'm not sure that'll be the case this year I think it'll be closer than that mm. um, and who knows who knows we could yet have a St. Tottering's, totteringham's day again yeah. but I, <laughs> I I do feel really positive about our chances of the top four I just think we've got the players that we needed and now it's down to their performances and of course the coach and, you know, there are, there aren't many excuses really to be made for Unai Emery this season. No. So uh, a lot of it's on him really. And I think he must have a sense of that. Um, so, but I think, I think if you ask me to predict, put my, you know, life on it, I'd say, I think we'll do
1: it. I really do. Okay. But uh, a long way to go there is uh, I like this we have a question on Facebook from John Holt who's asking about the January transfer window John John just give us a, a few months to recover from, from the <laughs> summer window will you? Um, I have a question here from Facebook as well from David Pantaleone who says for Liverpool should we go three at the back or a back four question I suppose is should we and also will we what do you think
0: either back or back four I mean that's something we've not touched on but I've really enjoyed having the back four um, for, for for these two games I think we just look to my mind we look more balanced with it um, and I think with that in mind I think I would stick with it actually uh, a, a bit like what I said earlier you know if, if Emery's going to go down in flames let it be playing the football that he wants to mm. play, and I think the back four's our best chance of doing that. I'm just sort of trying to plan it out in my mind. So if we went there with the back four, you'd be looking at Maitland-Niles, Louise, Socratis and um, Yeah. Back five, I guess, would be something like Maitland-Niles and Kolasinac as full-back, as wing-backs. Yeah, and you uh, could do a back and, three
1: and of of Louise Socrates have, and Monreal or Chambers. Yeah. Uh, I have a feeling he's going to go with a back with a back three for this. Yeah, one. as we
0: started talking about it, I was like, yeah, I can I can imagine that. I can imagine that. Yeah, and and, and look, I'm not I'm not convinced uh, that the back four is the right choice. You know, it's 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 possible that uh, back three back three could be a decent move. I mean, do you have a strong
1: feeling on it one way or the other? Look, you. He- there's, I think over the last while there's been this idea that a back three is somehow inherently um, more defensive or negative you know mm. you can play a three343 three and play uh, attacking football with a three343 three. of course he can a three2 uh, as well as an option for him which I, I kind of suspect that he might go for Um because of the threat that Liverpool have from an attacking point of view and also via their fullbacks so I think he might yeah. look to negate the front three with a, a you know three central defenders look to negate their full backs with our wingbacks and perhaps press them back you've got three in midfield who could be uh, combative against whoever it is that, that Liverpool put in there, who we know are going to run around and are going to be very uh, fit and physical and uh, are going to press us. Um, and then you've got two strikers in Aubameyang and Lacazette. You know, you can easily transition from a from a back three into a back four and stick in a, a, an extra attacking player on if you want. So... Uh, the thing that we sort of associate with the the back three maybe is, you know, playing it in games at home against teams. We shouldn't be playing a back three against last season where this conservative approach that Emery had because he just had no faith or trust in our defense made him, made him go that way. So I think we need maybe to demonstrate or throw off the shackles of this negative back three. There are going to be times when it's used this season. I think Liverpool is going to be one of those, um, and we need to show that we can play uh, in a in a solid way with that. So that's just the way I think we we will go um, with Louise, perhaps yeah, I mean, as the guy in the middle of that back three, somebody who can use the ball yeah. and, and spread the ball uh, well from deep. It might just give that that formation an extra dimension.
0: Yeah, I mean, listening to you talk about it, it does feel. Uh, like it might make some sense, and it does feel like something Emery would do. So I, I think I've, I think I've flipped my initial opinion having listened to your, your rationale. We did have this question on Discord from Ask Ask Baby, who said, "Do you think Emery will continue this trio of young players in midfield versus Liverpool, or do you think Urzal or Shaka we bought back, bought back into the starting lineup? Have Sabios
1: or Willock earned their spot as starters moving forward?" I don't see Ozil coming back in to play his first Premier League game of the season at Anfield away. Just don't see I that. I think we can all agree on that, actually. Um Shaka um, potentially could come back into the team, and I suspect if he does, it would probably be at the expense of Willock. Right. Which Yes which isn't, you know, maybe fair. I'm just trying to think about what Emery would do It's not necessarily what I would do, but if Xhaka came in, I think he would pair him with Gendouzi and have Sabios buzzing around with the ability that he has to to evade the press and to do things with the ball and to drive forward to to try and link the uh, the attack or the midfield and the attack. Um, so I, I have a feeling he will bring Xhaka back in. It would be brave and admirable if he stuck with that three though. It would be, but I just think with an opponent like Liverpool, he's going to want some experience in the team for better or worse. And, uh, and Xhaka provides that.
0: Yeah. I think that's I think that's fair enough and I think Sabahis has probably done enough in the last game to mean that he's almost you know he sort of was too good to leave out really so it might be that this is one that Willock sits out but I, I don't feel I don't feel that it's like a question of oh the pecking order will be restored and uh, Xhaka seniority I mean he gets those games I think Willock's done enough to really inject himself into Emery's thoughts as a an option and I think it wouldn't surprise me if he was back in the team you know within weeks if that
1: um, okay here's uh, another one from the discord from 1.76 acres he says first a statement it seems pretty apparent that we have a lot more raw talent and athleticism in this year's uh, squad or roster uh, to say nothing of the depth of the squad especially in midfield and in attack so the question how long until we can properly judge that our performance is a product of something other than just increased talent and depth. How much time should we give the manager to show us that he's extracting the most out of these players, that he has devised the best system for his newfound riches, and that it's not just due to, in uh, inverted commas, all that talent?
0: Hmm. Well, I think it's never really possible to know what is down to a manager and what is down to talent. I think... You know, even Arsene Wenger in his in his greatest success. You know, you could or Pep Guardiola. You know, he he won so much with Barcelona, but you someone could say, well, he inherited Xavi and Iniesta and Messi. Um, I think it's difficult to always decipher what what is the consequence of the ability of your squad and what is the hand of the manager. But in terms of how long we should give him, I, I think for me, a, a season. I mean, I, you know, I, I always. Thought this would be a two-year period, and I, I kind of think unless something goes very drastically wrong in the first half of the season, I think I think you use the whole campaign to have a look at it because you know he is working with a lot of new players, be that from the academy or be that from the transfer market, and that's going to take a bit of time before we can properly assess mm. what's going on there. It's just a little bit chaotic by its very nature at the moment. So, to my mind, I think this season is about deciding whether or not Unai Emery. Gets a third, and um, I think that process will will take
1: the majority of the season. What do you reckon? Yeah, last season it all felt felt muddled, didn't it? We had these discussions about what is the philosophy, what what is Unai Emery's football. Um, I think with the talent that he's got and the depth of squad that he's got, we have to see something approaching that now, something beyond. Your philosophy can't just be changing your philosophy for every game based on the opposition. You have to have some fundamentals, right, in the way that you play the game. So I think this season we've got to see a bit more of that. And hopefully we're seeing a bit more of that now when we're talking about playing out from the back. That's what he wants from his team. He's telling them to do that. Those are his instructions. That is the way he wants his team to play. Over the course of this season, if we can start to identify a style of play or various traits that we can associate with Emery and it's effective and it's getting results and performances are good, then I think we can say, yeah, this is down to, this is down to him and what he's doing with this group of players. Mm -mm. So that's, that's, you know, we, we can't make that assessment now after two games, but in 10 games if we're still playing it out from the back and we're improved and we're better and we're solid defensively and we're creating more chances and we're scoring goals and we're winning games, we can put that down to what the manager is doing. And, you know, in another 10 games, another 10 games, you know, I think I think we can start to make some judgments on that. But I agree with you that, it, you know, this season he has to make his mark on the team. He's at a club which is, you know, at a kind of a crossroads but which also needs to find its own identity again and I think that identity uh, whether people raise their eyes or not was almost set in stone by Wenger and the attacking football that he played that most fans I think want us to play attacking exciting football right? And Emery Mm. that's got to be part of his remit he's got to marry Uh, effectiveness with that entertainment because ultimately he's got to get us back into the top four and get us back into the Champions League. But I also believe that if we can see him trying to play in a way which um, is in line with those ideals that we have about what Arsenal should be and how we should play – I think there'll be a bit more leeway for, for games and performances when things don't go quite right. And a lot of the frustration last season was because it was just hard to know what we were doing other than muddling through. So if you're playing this type of football, it's not always going to work, but at least you 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 can see what we're trying to do. Last season, it was very hard to see what we were trying to do. So when things went wrong, it was, it was more frustrating.
0: Yeah, I uh, concur. And I think it will... It will grant Emery a bit of leeway uh, and a bit of faith if he can get Arsenal playing attractive football. I mean, you would have to say that in these first couple of games, it's not been the case that we have looked quite so bereft of ideas as we did for periods last season. It's not just been... I mean, Klasnac hasn't even even started the games, let alone been the only source of attack. So um, there is a bit more variety to the way we're doing things and, and let's hope that continues because... Um, obviously we want it to be successful but we've also got to watch it for a year so it would be nice to to enjoy it too Yeah. Uh, this question we touched on in part one I think but a few people have asked similar things Luis on Twitter at LuisHN says is it too early to already miss Danny Ceballos <laughs> and I think it, it, it definitely is too early to miss Dan- Danny Ceballos I think there's a lot of concern about well I'm not going to get too excited he's leaving in a year But as I said to you during the break, a year is a long time. Like, we've got this whole season with this player and I think, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with any of our players. You know, Aubameyang could be gone next season. You know, anybody could be gone next season. Gendouzi could get picked off. That's football. But you've got to enjoy it when you've got a player there who you like watching or who you think brings something to the team. You know, it's it's not like he's going to piss off halfway through the campaign. He could be a massive part of what we do this season. And um, I think we should celebrate that and welcome it sort of whatever happens at the end of it. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, we can, as football fans, I think we can always find the cloud for whatever silver lining there is out there, right? So something that's enjoyable, it's like, well, this is great, but what happens if like a panther eats him? What happens? What are we going to do if our goalkeeper gets, you know, an anvil falls on his head in cartoon Roadrunner style? You know, there's always that uh, ability. But I think with Ceballos, we kind of have to put it to one side as much as possible and also be realistic. Because if he plays really, really well for Arsenal this season, and I hope he does. It does make our chances of signing him on a permanent basis, should we d- wish to do that, more difficult. Because either Real Madrid are going to say, hey, this guy, this guy's great. He's gone to Arsenal. He's, he's coming back to us a more rounded player. Let's keep him and put him in our team. Or hmm. his price tag reflects the level of his performances, which might put him out of our price range. People are talking as well about, the, you know, it's a shame there's no option to buy um, which, you know, is, I guess, a bit of a shame, but it doesn't mean you can't buy him if you want to. Yeah. It's not like you, it's not an, a thing that says you may not ever buy this player. It's just that in the loan deal, there's no purchase option in it. But if we like him, there's no reason to say we can't make a bid to Real Madrid uh, and try and buy him. They were They were looking to sell him for 50 million euros this summer. Maybe it'll cost more yeah. next summer if he plays really well for us. Um, and, and maybe, maybe, uh, and perhaps we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit here. Maybe Danny Ceballos might really like it at Arsenal. Maybe he'll have the fucking time of his life and decide, yeah, this is a club I want to be. And if a player wants to join you, it makes the 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 um, makes any potential deal a bit more doable. So. That's
0: true, yeah. I, I mean, who knows? It may be that playing regularly for Arsenal and starting games earns him international recognition with Spain's senior team. He gets into that squad or that side. And, you know, then he's like, well, I've got an international place at stake. I don't want to go to Madrid and sit on the bench. There are a lot of things that <clears throat> contribute to his thinking. Um, but I, I kind of feel like even if he, even if he does go, at the end of the year. I still think it's a smart deal from Arsenal and yeah. I still think that there's a lot he can offer. So, yeah, I just wanted to touch on on that one
1: briefly. Okay, I think we've got time for one more and I guess it's going to be something which hasn't affected us really yet. We talked about Reese Nelson and his goal being disallowed by VAR, but... Uh, where is the question here from Emmanuel Lane, who's at Triboking or King, on Twitter. He said, what did you make of the Gabriel Jesus handball issue this weekend? The one, of course, that denied Manchester City three points against Tottenham. Uh, so from that point of view, it was really, really, really annoying. But what did you make of that intervention by VAR? And some quick thoughts on on how it's been... Uh how it's been affecting games in the Premier League so far this season.
0: Yeah. I mean pff, I, I it's a really difficult one because obviously by the letter of the by the letter of the law, uh, you know, it was implemented correctly. When I look at a situation like that, and I'm trying to separate my bias from it, because obviously I was gutted uh <laughs> that Spurs didn't lose the game. But when I look at it, I feel I'm not someone who's massively uh, pro VAR. I'm not anti it, but I just feel like I'm not really sure what we gain from it. I mean, maybe we get a. a James, sorry, can cleaning. you just
1: hang on one second? There's someone at the door. Hang on.
0: Oh, yeah, no one worries. Sec-
1: Sorry, you were saying about uh, VAR and how you don't hate it or whatever.
0: I don't hate it, but I don't love it. I'm not sure exactly what I gain from it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I I think because I'm a football romantic, I kind of love the inaccuracies and the controversies as much as any of it. I think that's, they're the stories. I think they're what sort of the fabric of football is. And I know it might not be... Justice, but you know that's that's sport sometimes. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm trying to get used to it. Um But it's we're definitely in a, a teething period, yeah, aren't we? It's I mean,
1: it's definitely a different kind of controversy, though, isn't it? That that idea, I guess. You yeah. know that. Imagine you think you've won a game right at the death and then the goal is taken away from you and all of a sudden the opposition fans are celebrating like crazy because it, it almost feels like a goal to them. Um, and I think if you're on yep. the right side of it, it's going to be hugely enjoyable, but I'm just trying to imagine what it would feel like if at the Emirates something similar happened in a game where we thought we'd won it right at the end. I think, you know, obviously you'd be fuming. Um, what, for me, what... What VAR has done, I think it's highlighting the absurdity of some of the rules in I the think game. that's absolutely right. So the yeah. handball that disallowed the goal for Manchester City is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The, the, the ball hit him on the arm completely accidentally. Um, and for that, the goal is disallowed because of the handball rule, which says that any contact... Um, on the arm, in the box, accidental, that leads to a goal is going to be disallowed. But if the ball had hit the the arm of the Tottenham player, it wouldn't have been a penalty. So it feels yeah. like it's only punishing the attacking team, and that's that's not fair. And also the offside rule where you're offside if, you know, the tiniest part of your body, whether it's your shoulder or your, your testicles or whatever, um, you know... It just, it it doesn't make sense on any rational level that, uh, I mean, it, it adds some precision to it, I guess. But from a sporting point of view, it just seems a ridiculous rule.
0: Yeah, and ultimately what we're seeing is goals ruled out, but we want goals to be ruled in, don't we? We want goals in games. I mean, mm. that's uh, always been the slant of the rules is that there's been a kind of a, uh, sort of nominal advantage to the to the attacker. I think there is a slight distinction between the diff- the two things: the handball and the offside thing. Because the handball, I agree, that is um, a, a definite weight in favour of the defence there, and I think that is wrong. The thing with offside is where wherever you draw, draw the distinction, at some point there's going to be a narrow margin. So you know whether it's that the you know if any part of the player is in front of the other, or if if there's daylight, at some point it becomes about a millimeter yeah. you know what i mean like if you pursue that to the nth degree um,
1: i don't know what the solution is that, for offside though what you know
0: yeah i don't i don't that's what i'm saying i feel like it always comes back to the same thing of like there is a fractional point at which you are marginally offside and players play on that line but yeah it's. um i think maybe it's a cultural thing if we just sort of have to get used to it and maybe we're not in that period yet and that's why I find it so jarring yeah um- as, I mean, if it stops helping out Spurs so much, that would really yeah. help you warm to it.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. The fact that they seem to be the main beneficiaries of VAR uh, over the last few months has been quite hard to take. So it's difficult to get yeah. on side with that. Look, at, at some point, we are going to have a bigger, longer discussion about this and we'll have more time to, A, have seen the implementation of it across the Premier League and the impact that it has on on games, on the fan experience and everything else. But there is going to be a point this Season sooner or later, where one of those decisions goes against us, and everyone's going to go absolutely mental. Um, of course, and you know we will we will be the victim uh, rather than the beneficiary of, of VAR uh, in a you know at an important moment in perhaps an important game at a, uh, an important part of the season. So I think this is one we can put on the back burner for a little bit, but as soon as that happens, we'll have plenty of questions about it. I'm sure.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know what Arsenal fans are like. I'm sure when Vargo's against us, we'll take it really well and uh, be really (laughs) philosophical about the whole thing definitely
1: won't be personal that's for sure definitely not (laughs) yeah all right well look we better leave it there um, for this week thank you as ever for listening remember if you like the show give us a rating or review on iTunes that'd be great if you want to join Patreon and support everything that we do on ArsBlog, please go to patreon.com forward slash It costs a fiver a month and you get access to all the stuff that's on there and we appreciate your support and everybody who signed up thank you very much indeed Arscast Regular on Friday will be looking ahead to the game against the Mug Smashers. No doubt the Mug Smasher himself will be along to, uh, to give us his uh, Liverpool point of view. Uh, lots more besides. Uh, until then, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.